Hey guys, I'm Mag, and this is You Don't Wanna Know. Well, it's just me this time, no Nick, just good old me. Um, very exciting. I am in my own room all to myself, just for me and my spooky stories. So I'm just pretty pumped about that. Um, sorry I'm a little late for this one, guys. I just put it off for too long and then the weekend got super crazy. But here I am, back at it again. No white vans, though. Sorry. Sorry, Daniel. Um, so, good news, though. I did watch a movie this past week and I feel like I'm super, super late to the game because it is the movie Orphan, which was very awesome. So many people had told me to watch this movie and I just like put it off for so long, but I'm finally caught up with the general population. We got to watch it. It has the lady who plays the rain in The Conjuring, which are probably some of my most favorite scary movies. So um, I was already like pretty pumped about that and there were so many people telling me like all the great things. So I was really excited to finally watch it when I finally stole my sister's peacock and was able to watch it. So here's how I feel about it. I thought it was a great movie and it had a really interesting story, but, and this is probably going to piss some people off, I hate when thrillers get labeled horror movies, scary movies, because they're not scary. This was a thriller to me. And if it was labeled a thriller, I would have probably liked it even more. And it goes for Get Out, I believe that movie was called Get Out. That one was not a scary movie. So I went in thinking like, I'm going to poop my pants. I'm going to get so scared. And it was a thriller. So I had to watch it twice in order to get like an enjoyment out of it because I thought it was going to be scary and it's not scary. There were moments where it was intense, thrilling one might say, but just not scary. You have to be like Scream where there's a serial killer chasing after you and like you don't know where he's going to go or like demonic possession, ghosts, those are scary. But I just hate when things get labeled scary when they're thrilling, you know? That's just me. All in all, I would definitely recommend this movie. Very, very good. Very cool storyline. <laughs> Bummer ending, <laughs> I might say. Um, I think there's like a sequel to it or a prequel, something like that. I didn't really get the chance to actually look at what it was. What I'm guessing is either it's the story prior to her, the orphan coming into that family. Yeah, because, okay, I'm not going to ruin the ending, but yeah, it's definitely what that is. Okay, so it's a prequel. So maybe I'll give that a shot. Um, if you have any suggestions on movies to watch, hit me up. You know I love a good movie watching session. I have one other thing I want to talk about before we jump into this case. There is a contest going on and it's called Face of Horror or something like that. Ooh, I should probably figure out what that is. One second. Okay, I'm back. So it is called Face of Horror and it's basically like every single scary movie person's dream. So you have a cash prize, but that's not that important. Um, then there is a chance to do um, like a two night stay at Buffalo Bill's house, which like what? Then do like a walk on part on an indie film and you get to do a photo shoot with the guy that played Jason in Friday the 13th, which sounds 
amazing because I will say Friday the 13th, probably some of my favorite movies. They're very intense, very exciting, very scary. Absolutely love them. So I have been trying like crazy to win this contest. Currently in my group, I'm top seven. So you were in a group of 100 people. The top 20 made it and I made the top 20. The next wave is the top 15 and I'm number seven. Then the next is 10 and then five and then one with a couple weird things in between that I don't totally understand, but that's okay. I'll figure it out. So if any of you guys wanted to vote for me, I will link the page in the show notes, which will be um, just the details of this episode. I'll also put it on Instagram and Facebook because guys, I want to win this so bad and I would love to get your support. I will be more consistent if I win, I promise. So that is a little incentive to vote for me. You can vote every 24 hours. It's a free vote. Otherwise, you can um, donate votes by paying money. So it's like a dollar for every vote. And it goes to the Be Positive Foundation, which is a foundation that kind of um, goes along with families who... um, have children who have some kind of cancer so it kind of supports them during that process it's a really amazing fund so if you guys don't care about me winning just donate anyways because it's such a good fund and it's such a beautiful cause so this week's case is on sean great and it's a little confusing because he's known as the house of horrors horrors not whores Um, But at the same time, there's that mother and father who adopted like 13 kids and tied them to beds. And that's also called the House of Horrors. So um, I'm just going to call it Sean Great because I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't take away from that horrible case with the parents abusing the children. So on September 13th, 2016, uh, police dispatch received a 911 call from a very distressed woman. And this woman is not named she is Jane Doe, so we'll call her Jane. She is calling. She's very upset, and she's saying that she was kidnapped. She's talking very quietly, and we find out that she is in the same room as the abductor, and he's sleeping. So she's not super sur- sure where she is. She gives a pretty good, like, kind of detailed description of where she is, and place her on their way. So the phone call kind of goes on like that, and it's a seven-minute phone call, but my gosh, it feels like an hour long. It's so intense. You can feel how scared she is just from the way she sounds, and if it feels like an hour for me, I can't even imagine what it feels like for her. But she goes on, she tells the police or the dispatcher who relays it to the police where she is. She's in a house to the left of the laundromat. She thinks it's yellow. She kind of gives a layout of the home. You walk in through the side door and there's a kitchen and there's a bedroom right to the left and I'm in the bedroom. And then the dispatch woman is like, okay, well, are you hurt? Are you bleeding? And she's like, I'm not bleeding anymore, which is like, oh, poor thing. You've been through so much already. We can already tell. She's getting really scared and sometimes she's not replying. Sometimes she's delayed in response just because She's in the same room with her abductor. And at one point, I think she like shifts and all of a sudden you hear a psst. And she says, I hit the taser. The taser went off. He woke up. So 
she sets the phone down and four minutes of absolute silence goes by. Nothing. Which, it's heart-stopping to listen to those four minutes. The police dispatcher asks if you're okay or if, like, he's back to sleep or something like that. And she's like, "I'm he's asleep. Or, I'm okay, he's back to sleep. Something like that. And she asks, are they almost here? And the dispatcher says, yes, they're almost here. Can you get out of the room? And she's like, I'm not getting out of this room until I hear them, which is a smart move because the whole time I'm just thinking like, what if he wakes, what if she wakes him up? What if he wakes up and he kills her because he's scared and he thinks he can kill her and run away? So good move on her. Go Jane Doe. So she starts to hear the police and she slowly, slowly, slowly opens the door, which like another smart move. I feel like I wouldn't even be able to like function under such high stressful situations. But she slowly opens the door and as she comes to the window, she sees the police walking away because the door was locked. So in like a plea, you can hear her voice pleading. She says, no, tell them to come back. And luckily the dispatcher's on it right away. And she's like, okay, come back. Come on. No, you can see her through the window. Come back. And at the end of the phone call, you can hear the police telling her to come outside and get away. So Jane Doe was saved. So the police barge inside and they find good old Sean, not so great, on the bed or whatever he's doing at this point, naked. So they make him put on some pants and they bring him into the station. So Sean had met Jane Doe at a croc center, which is similar to like a Salvation Army. She was just donating her time, helping take care of the homeless or the less fortunate. And Sean was one of those people. It was late July when they met. And I had to pause and remember where July falls in the calendar. So they met two months prior to this happening. And they were kind of friends. They would like play tennis together and they would go on walks, and Sean wanted a relationship with Jane. But Jane was not interested. She was probably just being, like, nice to him because she felt bad or something. And she rejected him multiple times. Jane was a good Christian woman. She wanted to find the right person and save herself for that person. So she just, like, told him, no, like, I'll be friends with you, but that's it. So, like, she was nice enough to play tennis with him. I mean, come on. I feel like I wouldn't do that to the guy who would, like, try and make passes at me. She even said that he felt like a brother to her, but obviously Sean didn't feel that way and he wanted more. Now, Sean was originally from Mansfield, Ohio, but he said that he was running from the police because he didn't want to pay child support. So, great. Just great guy. Right off the bat. Love it. He was described as being very charming with big blue eyes and all the girls liked him from someone who knew him in high school. So he was one of those people. His mom actually said that he's charming, but so is the devil. So that kind of says a lot. He had some learning disabilities and was actually held back from school, but he loved baseball and was actually really good at it. But he had to stop at 14 because he had a large tumor on his arm. So part of his hip was taken out to replace it. And baseball was kind of a way for him to get away and just, like, find himself. And once that was gone, obviously, he had some issues. 
and it started building up more and more. And it was very apparent in his later years because people would describe him then as being charming at first, but once they were comfortable with, with him, once they let their guard down, his true colors came out. And judging by his record, I'd say that's true because he was arrested at 18 for grabbing his girlfriend by the throat, which just makes me think of Euphoria and just that freaking character Tyler and how awful he is. Um, a few years later, he choked another girlfriend out and she was only 17. So he was obviously an adult and she was a minor. She was actually pregnant at the time. And just to go back to Euphoria, that's my little, like, little dirty pleasure because I can't just be true crime all the time. I probably would explode. Um, eight months later, he broke into that same girl's house who was pregnant and hid under her couch with a knife and then assaulted her and her sister. So, horrible person. Five years later, in 2010, a girl said he assaulted her multiple times. She actually convinced him to allow her to go to the hospital. I don't know why I had to say hospital like that, so I apologize. But she got him to go to the hospital, and at first her story was that she fell down some stairs. But when she was finally alone, the truth came out, and Sean ran. She got treated for her injuries, and luckily Sean was away from her, which must have been such a relief. Well, a few weeks later, she called the police because she thought Sean was hiding on her couch. And he was. Which just makes me think of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, how Frank hides in that couch and just like gets birthed out of the couch because he's sweating so much. So I just like, I can't not imagine that. I'm sure that's not what it was at all, but that's what I think of. And it makes me laugh because he's such a freaking loser. He was, I don't know why I said was, but he has three kids and they are not in his life at all at this point. So on Sunday, Sean told Jane Doe, and I believe Sunday was the 11th, he told Jane Doe that he had some clothes for her and if she wanted to, she can come to his house, which she ended up doing. They meet at his house and he starts to look for the clothes, I guess, and she's just sitting on his couch reading her Bible, just waiting for him. And he came back being a completely different person. So originally he was really kind, thoughtful even, saying, hey, I've got some clothes for you, and then just turned on a dime. Just completely different person. He ends up taking his her Bible from her and said, you're not going anywhere. And oh my gosh, just that picture makes me want to throw up thinking about that. This poor girl, like she's just reading her Bible. She's probably like relaxed, thinking peaceful thoughts. And all of a sudden the Bible gets ripped away and he says, you're not going anywhere. I feel like I would just go white. So he ties her up three times while they're there. He shaves her pubic hair into a heart and at one point puts restraints around her neck so if she moved, she would strangle herself. He would give her muscle relaxers and put duct tape around her mouth to keep her quiet. Now, they're actually in a home that he like broke into, so no one is going to check on them. No one knows they're there, at least I don't think. It's just a horrible situation. Sean told the police that Jane Doe and him were talking about marriage, 
but she would get cold feet and that's why he would get upset with her. Sean had said that she was speaking about an ex named Daniel at that point and she was just trying to make Sean upset, I guess. Something weird, just a total made-up story. And he was saying, the reason I did it was because she kept turning me down for marriage, even though we talked about it. And then the cherry on top was her bringing up her ex, and that's why he did everything. He also said that he was interested in her more because she would push back. She had made it very clear that she didn't want to have sex with him, and that even further, she didn't think of him that way at all. She thought of him as a brother, as I said before. So this is all very, very, very clearly a lie. He actually made up another story saying that they were getting hot and heavy and she started to like not want to do it or something like that. She's fighting it. So he starts hitting her. So he's just all over the board. Now, this is all from Sean confessing and Jane Doe, she does obviously give her statement as well. So I think they talk to her first and then see if he'll tell the story too. So in the interrogation, in the interrogation, he will say something BS and the detective will be like, well, that's not what she said, which can't help but think of Michael Scott when I say that, but different time, different time. So the detective um, asked about the timeline and Sean said that he had her for a little over 24 hours, but she said it had she had been with him since Sunday. So when the detective confronted Sean with this information, he's like, what day is it, Monday? And the de- detective's like, no, it's Tuesday, stupid. So he's just trying to like play like he doesn't know what's going on. Then the detective starts asking him because... Sean makes this seem like he didn't do anything wrong, they're in a relationship, whatever. So the detective asks, like, why did you tie her down? Why was she restrained? And he just blurts out, well, I abducted her. So that just completely changes everything. And he said he did it because he wanted answers about marriage. And that's kind of why he did it. And he also says, and get ready for this, abducting her means he cares about her. So apparently no one cares about me because I've never been abducted. So boo for me, I guess. At this point in the interrogation, he starts saying that she had lustful thoughts and him doing this would help her clear her mind of these lustful thoughts, blah, blah, blah. He wouldn't give that up either. He would even say, when we played tennis, she was just so bad at it because she couldn't focus because she was just so caught up in thinking about sex all the time. Just sex is on our mind. So he's just insane. The detective kind of feels like he's at a standstill with Jane Doe. So he starts to bring up a different um, disappearance. And this woman's name was Elizabeth Griffith. She was 29 years old and she was described as being an outgoing person, very compassionate. People could always catch her singing and smiling and that like kind of breaks my heart because I'm always singing smiling eh, that's probably not how people describe me unfortunately but singing I'm always 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 singing and I feel like with every single missing persons case you always find a way to connect with people and that's just how I connected with Elizabeth so it really hurt my heart when I found out about this case but detectives thought that maybe he had something to do with it because 
Jane Doe's case really reminded them of Elizabeth's case, too. So they asked about her her situation, and he denied it completely, even though Elizabeth also worked at the church and at the Croc Center. She was always there, either at the church or the Croc Center, and Sean went there all the time, too. She did have paranoid schizophrenia, so she had issues with that, and she goes to ther- she went to therapy regularly. It was very good for her. She was getting help and working on herself, which is super important. She would even call the help line a lot because she would have auditory and visual hallucinations, which that scares the crap out of me, thinking about someone seeing something that's not there. Like, I know people do acid or whatever or hallucinogenics, and they think it's like a fun time, but that just sounds horrifying to me, you know? So she had some problems, and everyone kind of knew that. At one point, she actually burned off all of her hair because of a hallucination, and that was where she was at at this point in her life. She was starting to miss appointments, which was very un... It was out of character for her, essentially. And that's when people started to get worried about her and started asking around. Her therapist was actually the one that knew something was wrong. So she's the one that actually contacted the police. So, like, pretty solid therapist, if you ask me. The night she went missing, she was said to be, like, kind of giddy but nervous. So I just think of, like, a little schoolgirl who has a crush on a boy and, like, she gets to hang out with him or something. And Elizabeth actually tried calling a friend that night because she wanted to speak with her, but the friend wasn't available. She called another number that night that she went missing, and it was matched to Sean Great's phone. So Elizabeth called another number. Sean really denies knowing her too well. He said that the time that they spoke was when he was playing tennis with Jane, that they didn't really speak at the Croc Center. But he does say that he helped her find peace and gave her advice. And, well, originally he said, I helped her find peace. And that just seems very, very scary. So the officer was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I just gave her advice. Which he was just probably trying to get out of what he said because he realized that's incriminating. So the detective starts getting a little bit more forceful with him. And Sean just kind of shuts down. He stops talking. The investigator realizes this is happening, so he kind of backs away, and he leaves, and they bring in another detective, and this one's actually a woman detective, and I I watched this entire interrogation, and I learned so much. I have so much respect for people doing this stuff because, my goodness, guys, it must be so hard to be patient with these people because at first you're going to get upset with them because you're like why are you talking to this murderer like that you know and I just gave it away but yes he is a murderer um but then you realize you're not doing it for you you're doing it for the people that this person hurt and their families the families of the people that are gone because by treating them nicely and like joking with them and not treating them like the monsters they truly are They can get all the information or as much as they possibly can from this person and give the family some kind of peace, you know? So it's just, it's a whole nother level. And it's really hard to remember that when they're speaking because there are definitely times where I'm like, man, you guys suck. But in reality, they're playing the killer. They're 
kind of using psychology against them and just letting them play into their game, you know? So the women investigator, she comes in quietly and very agreeable. She's not accusing of him, accusatory towards him. But her biggest thing is standing by Jane Doe. She really humanizes her as much as possible. And she'll never, like, agree with him on things against her when he talks about how she was just crazy for sex. She won't agree with that. So I I love this lady. Like, she absolutely kills it. So that's her biggest thing, humanizing Jane Doe. Even though I really love her tactic, he doesn't really fall into this, um, the detective humanizing Jane Doe. So she switches over to Elizabeth and says, can you at least bring us to her body? So they make it seem like, or I should say she makes it seem like they know she's gone. And this is kind of where it gets crazy, guys. He says he doesn't know about bringing them to her, but maybe the others. So he is just confessing that this is not it. There are other people that he has murdered and disposed of their bodies. He has done this with multiple others, people. And Jane Doe got away, called 911. So not only is she a surviving story, but she is a bad because she was able to bring him to the police and get justice for these other people. He goes on about Elizabeth saying terrible things about her and not just her, people with mental illness. For some reason, he just has a horrible, horrible vendetta against people who are on governmental assistance. He basically says like they're a waste of space um, and if you're getting governmental assistance, like you suck essentially like he just he hates it i don't know why he has this burning hatred for it but he does so the investigator asks again to get taken to the body and sean says we can go to mansfield where there's another girl so basically he's cracking now it's pathetic it's funny because he's doing all this to women and a woman is bringing him into the justice that he deserves so it's like beautiful irony i'm all about it He said her name is Candace Cunningham and she had been in the woods since June. And keep in mind, this is September. He said that he loved her, but she lied to him a lot and Sean said that's why he did it, basically. Candace was a super, super loving person. She had two kids, but she got pulled into the wrong crowd. She was an extremely strong person um, and strong-willed as well. Everyone said that she loves making loved making people laugh and there it is again i resonate with that because i love making people laugh if i can put a smile or a laugh a smile on your face or make you laugh that will make my day completely even if it's to my own expense so this like really really hurt me so like i said she's in the wrong crowd and she decides to move to mansfield to kind of get back on her feet which is awesome but horrible at the same time she she said she met Sean and told her mom that he was the perfect guy. Her friends said that they were even ex- inseparable, but they were toxic. She changed her Facebook status to married on dis- on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve in 2015. And unfortunately, she didn't keep in constant contact with her family, so no one really knew that she was missing. They never reported her missing. She had even said that she would be busy with the move, so no one suspected it. 
that like when she stopped talking to them she was gone they just thought that she was super busy and this kind of like perked my mind and thinking like sean probably said that because he knew he was going to kill her and this was just a way to distance her from her friends and family in order to protect him when he did something horrible to her which is exactly what he did he said that she would hit him a lot and also lie and he said that he told her he was going to put her in the woods if she kept lying to him. So it seems like he just was trying to like justify his actions by saying, well, I told her that I was going to do it if she kept lying and she kept lying like some idiot. He even said to take it a step further that she was suicidal and crazy, trying to justify his actions even more, kind of like how he did with Elizabeth saying he put her at peace because he said Elizabeth was also suicidal. So this guy is an idiot because he even goes as far as demonstrating how he strangled her. And the detective brings in a doll and he says, how do you want to show us? And Sean thinks it's so funny and he goes, well, I was thinking about demonstrating it on you, talking to the male detective that walks in later. This is kind of the part where I'm like, oh, you guys suck. But in reality, they're just trying to be nice to him to keep him talking. The detective laughs along with him at this joke about showing how he strangled these women on the detective. And the detective actually allows it, which like, okay, obviously he's not going to actually strangle the detective, but I just don't like that they laughed and that they're playing into his like stupid little jokes, making him feel funny, whatever. Later on, I realized, like, okay, this is probably them actually trying just to get him to talk and spill every single thing, which he does. Spoiler alert. So on September 13th, 2016, Sean led them to the body of Candace. And in another part, this is pretty tough for me to think about because, like, it just makes me so upset. He's talking to a detective about how he brought her body over here and he was like chuckling about something and the detective's like yeah I was kind of wondering how you would have brought that body over and they're just talking so candidly about this and it just it makes me so upset but once again I remember that they're doing this for the better of the family to get more information so that they can have peace and just let their daughter rest basically so once the body is found and recovered he's brought him back into the interrogation room And he says, or I should say, he asks, how many people before I get lethal injection? So that just shows that there's not one, there's not two, there's not three. There's at least another, if not more. So after a few moments, he starts talking about Elizabeth. So nothing is said in between that and him bringing up Elizabeth. He said that he hung out with her that day and met back up with her late that night. He said that she put the moves on him and he did not allow it. He also said that nothing happened with her, but the detectives were quick to point out that her shirt was off. So that's probably not true. Once again, he said that he helped her by killing her, put her to peace, some crap like that. So he's just trying to Remove the guilt, I guess, for, from his actions. He said that he initially choked her as like a joke when she, because he was saying like she's suicidal and he's like, 
stop talking like that. Like, and then he chokes her to like wake her up and be like, hey, you don't want me to actually do this. You don't actually want to die. And Sean said that she kind of freaked out when he went to choke her. And she started fighting him, which led to him actually choking her. Oops, sorry, I hit my mic. So like I said, he actually killed her after pretending to choke her or whatever crap he's spewing out right now. And he even, so he said that this was kind of like a spur of the moment thing, like he didn't think about it. But in the demonstration with the detective, he actually like said, so I grabbed her throat and I pulled her towards me to put more pressure on her throat. So very clear with his intentions that either he chokes a bunch of people or he thought this out or it wasn't his first time killing someone. And he went on saying that Elizabeth was smelling up his house so he started like putting clothes on top of her or something which means Elizabeth is still in that house. And he goes on to say one week before Elizabeth Stacy Stanley met Sean, the next victim, or the victim prior. Stacy was 43 years old and a recovering addict. She was having some car troubles September 8th, 8th of 2016, so very shortly before this is happening. She was headed back from getting her nails done at her favorite place, which I totally get that. I go to this one place to get a pedicure like every so often. And it's just such a treat. Like, you just get so much enjoyment out of it. And I feel so much better afterwards. So I can't help but think she was just so happy. But she got a flat tire and she called her son and told her told him what's going on. And he said that he was going to send someone to help her. So she pulled over and waited at the gas station for someone to help her when a stranger offered her an umbrella. And that was Sean. Sean actually offered to help her change the tire. And she said that she had someone coming. If only she would have stuck to her guns. But I totally get it. I probably would have done the same thing. I actually got a flat tire for the first time last year. And I'm used to like the big jacks and tire irons. And I had just had this like weird little gadget, like Swiss army knife of a jack. And I couldn't figure out how to work it. And somebody came on and came along and helped me change my tire, which was like super nice Luckily, it was during the daytime, so I wasn't scared, and it was just so kind of him, and I never, ever, ever would have thought that he was going to abduct me or something like that, because that's crazy, and it's so sad that such an act of kindness can be masked, can be a mask for such an evil person, you know? Like, it's the same thing with Ted Bundy, how he would put a cast on and pretend to be this weak person that needs help, which is kind of like the opposite of the situation, but still like preying on people and their good human nature. So it just shows how evil this person is. So like I said, she said she had someone coming, but Sean said it's just a one person job and I can do it pretty easily. So he changed her tire and Stacy gave him a cup, like bought him a cup of coffee and they walked into the store together, the mobile gas station, and they seemed like kind of chummy, just friendly, no issues, like they would have been thought of as friends. So she bought him a coffee and he asked her to hang out. So she did. And it's like, that would be such a cute, like meet cute or whatever, where you get a flat tire and a stranger offers to help you and then you hang out with him and fall in love and you get married and have 20 kids, whatever. 
But unfortunately, that's not how it turned out. The detective asked what made him do it, like what made him want to abduct and kill Stacy. Like he hadn't known her prior to, so it was kind of out of the blue. And he said, she reminded me of all of the women that broke my heart. He said, you know, like my mom, I hate to place blame, but someone has to. And it's like, how about you blame yourself, buddy? Because pretty sure no one forced you to kill these women. He said they were kissing and Stacy didn't want to go farther. And that's what triggered it. He said that he, she was playing all these guys, that she had like a sugar daddy waiting for her and basically saying like, who goes home with a stranger at 11 PM? But it's like, you're the one that asked her to go home with you. He also found out that she was getting, um, like a governmental assisted check every month. So that probably didn't help her. He probably, that like was fanning the flames of his rage, you know? He actually went as far as saying that he didn't have a choice, which mm, you're an idiot. If you really think that, like, go screw yourself. That just made me so upset. Oh my gosh. Like, screw off, buddy. All right, here we go. This is going to get kind of rough, guys. So he said that he raped her and strangled her, but she fought hard, which go Stacy. She even maced him, which you need mace, guys. Even if you don't think you do, you definitely need mace. So he actually starts describing how he strangled her and he says that her tongue came out because of the pressure, which is another thing for me, another like ding, 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 alarm bell in my head thinking he knows how to strangle someone. He knows the process and what goes on. Otherwise, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say, oh, her tongue came out because of the pressure. He would just say like her tongue came out or he wouldn't even notice it, you know? So it's just, it's a little warning for me. So he killed her, he covered up her body, and placed her in the basement with the garbage, which is horrible. Her poor family had to find that information out. So once again, screw you, freaking Sean Great. So this part's a little disturbing, not that this whole case isn't disturbing, but the detectives said that they found a stick with a bunch of condoms at the bottom of it, and he said... When asked about it, it was used to open Elizabeth's mouth so the flies could get in it because she was stiff so fast, which no matter how you slice this, that's horrible. But honest to God, I don't believe that that's what that stick was for. I'm not going to say what I think it's for. I'll hope, I hope you guys don't actually have to go where my mind is going, but just horrible no matter what that is disgusting in all instances he thinks that he was helping these women in every single one of them he thinks that he's doing this good deed stacy and elizabeth he said that they were going to kill themselves so he did it for them he helped them find peace jane was so sexually frustrated she couldn't even play tennis so he helped her with that He even went as far as to say that if he got her pregnant, she could keep that baby to stay busy and out of everyone's business. Oh, I can't mic again. Sorry, guys. But, like, get over yourself, dude. Like, you're not a hero in any of these instances. 
You are the villain. You are not helping a single person. If anything, which is very obvious to everyone else, you need help. Now, I was really confused at first when he was just so willing to give all of this information to the female detective, but then I kind of put this together myself. She was playing into him. She was giving him everything he wanted. She was very open to him. She didn't fight him. She wasn't confrontational towards him. I might even use the word obedient towards him, which feels like a disgusting word, which is at the end of the male investigator's interrogation, that's the exact opposite because he either got confrontational to maybe get a rise out of him so he would confess or the male detective just got so upset with the situation. Elizabeth had screamed during the whole thing. She got freaked out and fought him. Stacy maced him, but Jane gave up. Not to say that this is a bad thing, but, and honestly, like, who knows what you would do in this situation, but Jane stopped fighting. She just did what he said, which can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, who knows, but she lived. So it almost goes to show that he wants the fight, and that's how he got his rise. It's like justifying, once again, his actions, and it makes me think of the new movie, or I don't even know if it's considered new anymore, but the black mask? No, the black phone, the black phone. Phenomenal movie. I've probably already spoken about it. But basically, this guy kidnaps these boys and waits for them to try and escape, and he punishes them. So it's like Sean is punishing them for fighting him or some stupid crap like that. Which, to parallel his case to that movie even more, Elizabeth was normally tied up. But when she got free, she obviously like got free because it wasn't tied as well. So I wonder if that was his way of forcing her to fight by breaking free and getting out of those restraints. And that would justify him killing her or something like that. Just a thought. Now, as the detectives feel like they're wrapping up the interview, the interrogation, they ask if there's anything else he wants to get off his chest. And he says, I can't remember the exact year, but they found her body. So they had found her skeletal remains in the woods in 2007 in Marion County, I believe is how you say it. It was believed that she had been in there for a year and he was worried that he would get blamed for more murders because there was such a huge gap and that's why he wasn't so forthcoming as he was with the other other murders during this interrogation. But obviously he feels really comfortable with this lady because she's doing a great job interrogating him. So he thought the woman's name was Dana, which screw you if you can't even remember her name, which that was actually her name. And in 2019, which was three years after this investigation, it was found that her identity was Dana Lowry. Lowry, excuse me. Sean said that she was the woman that ripped his mom off and took his money, his mom's money for a magazine that she was supposed to purchase, but she never actually gave them. His mom was so upset and she was saying, God will take care of her. She's going to get in trouble by God for stealing my money, all this stuff. So this made him upset too. When he first spoke about um, the situation, he said that he was upset with his mom for saying these things. Because it wasn't like 
pure or holy or something like that. Like she had no right to get upset and say those things, whatever. But Sean eventually found her and killed her for what he did or what she did to his mom. So it's like, okay, so she can't say God's going to take care of her, but you can actually kill her and that's fine. Your logic just doesn't add up, Sean. You're an idiot. Dana actually had two young daughters and was on the road selling magazines. She was reported missing by her daughters because they hadn't received any calls from her at that time. So Sean found her, obviously, and lured her in by saying he wanted to buy some magazines, but he didn't have any money on him. So she had to come with him to his apartment. He brought up what happened with his mom, calling her a liar and just a cheater and evil, whatever. Um, She tried to run away, but he choked her and brought her into the basement. At one point, I guess she started to wake up. So in the basement, he stabbed her in the neck and wrapped her in a blanket. But he doesn't stop getting disgusting there because that night he was throwing a bonfire. So instead of disposing of her body, he decided to hide her in the basement and just put a sofa in front of the door so no one would go down there. So, another great one from this guy. Super awesome. The next day, he put her body in his truck and put her in the woods and burned all of her stuff. And the detectives actually asked if there was a way he can confirm that this was him. Like, if there was anything he could say that would basically tie him to the case. And he said that a few months later, he partially burned the body just so nothing would track back to him. He also said that Dana's case was the one that made him feel guilty, which I really don't understand. So that was basically the end of that day. And a few days later, they go back and continue the interrogation. The detective says that she has another case that's always really bothered her, and she thinks that it has a lot of similarities to the other cases that Sean Great has done. She really just gives him the location of where they found the body and almost instantly, without hesitation, he goes, Rebecca Lacey. Rebecca was a mother at the age of 16. She was described as spunky and daddy's girl, which is adorable. I love when people use the word spunky to describe people because it just shows that they have a lot of like pizzazz, but like a little sass. Unfortunately, her boyfriend introduced her to hard drugs. The way Rebecca met Sean was through prostitution. So they were both working the same corner, which I find very ironic because Sean tries to paint himself as this very noble person, being so kind, but then he is a prostitute working for money. So very weird. He actually lied about the way that he met her. He had told the detectives that He met her with 20, implying that she was a prostitute and that he paid her 20 bucks and that's how they met or whatever. And the timeline is a little fuzzy, but her murder was between January and February of 2015. He had choked her because he said that she stole money from her. She stole money from him, excuse me. And he even admits this. He says that it was only $4 that she took from him. And that was enough to piss him off and choke her out. So he took her to where they were staying and just kind of waited for her to wake up because he knew that she wasn't actually dead. 
Once she woke up, she was like super panicked and he said that she beat him up and he choked her again and that time was it. He actually took her life. He was disgustingly excited to talk about these details and it just sickens me. When I watched his interrogation and when I heard his voice, just how nonchalant he was talking about these women whose lives he took. And, oh, those detectives. I don't know how they did it, how they kept a straight face. Oh, man, I would have just slapped him right across the face. Honestly, this is me guessing, but I kind of wonder if he wanted to maybe torture her or do something to her. And that's why he brought her back to where they were staying or where he was staying and he didn't expect her to fight back or something and just like decided to kill her at that point or something I'm not sure but it just seems very suspicious to me that he brought her back if he was just going to kill her right away but Sean kept her body downstairs for a few days in a golf bag he had taped it shut so like nothing would come out because in the process of decomposition stuff starts to come out so not a great time but he taped it up and when he removed her in the golf bag it was freaking daylight so people were looking around but unfortunately no one's gonna suspect that there's a dead body in a golf bag I feel like that would be the last thing I would think of even a cop drove by him and he was just driving at this point but nothing ever happened he was really nervous because one people were looking at him and then the cop was there but nothing came of it And then in March of 2015, she was found, which was about a month after she was reported missing. They originally reported her cause of death as an OD because she was a drug addict. And her dad even went as far as saying that he didn't think Sean could do it. Like even present day when he confessed, the dad said that she was probably, um, she probably stole drugs and got mixed up in a mess and that's how she died. He wouldn't even like come to believe that Sean did it because I think her dad somehow liked Sean. I don't know. Oh yeah, he did. Sorry, I wrote that down. He said, uh, Sean was always a good and polite guy, but that's, I'm going to say this. Everybody listen, turn your mics up. That's how serial killers are. Look at the patterns, people. They appear charming and nice because they're probably antisocial, which means They don't know how to convey emotions or what emotions even feel like, so they pretend. They know how to manipulate the system or the situation to get what they want. So, of course, they're going to be nice. Of course, they're going to be polite because they know that's how they get what they want. It's so obvious. And the fact that the dad said that and was sticking with the serial killer Instead of standing by his daughter's side, it's sickening. Absolutely sickening. After he finished talking about Rebecca, the police asked if there was anything else he wanted to talk about. And he said, and I quote, I would have loved to do a lot, but I wouldn't have been able to get away with it. So I don't think he was smart, but I think he wasn't stupid. So he knew this is the line. I can't cross it. He actually gave an example of this woman named Trista. He said that he raped her and abducted her, but he said he didn't kill her. He said that she got lippy with her. He, she got lippy with him. Oh my gosh. And that set him off. He said that she didn't fight 
And that kind of follows the theory where he likes the fight and that's why he kills people because he likes to continuously fight. He takes it so far. Here's another trigger warning that makes you want to punch humanity in the face. While he's in prison, he starts to get fan mail. Why? Why do we do this as a society? Why do we idealize serial killers? But he continues to do these um, interrogations, interviews with the same detective because he ends up having like a relationship with her, not like a actual relationship, but like he knows her. So he feels comfortable speaking with her. And he gets asked one of the worst questions I think people ask and people say this all the time and they're so nonchalant about it and it makes me sick to my stomach. I really hope that I've never said this, but he gets asked what his favorite serial killer is and even saying that just is not right. Guys, favorite serial killer should never be something that you say. That means you have someone that you like the most out of all the group of people that killed people, killed multiple people. This is your favorite person that did those actions. Never say that. You can say, I find their case the most interesting, but favorite makes me want to puke. It's disgusting. I'm actually not even going to answer that question to who his quote unquote favorite serial killer is because I just, I hate that question so much. The detective actually, the female detective asks Ted, (laughs) Ted Bundy asks Sean who he related to more. And he said Ted Bundy and he describes him like the protagonist of a movie, which is sickening. He says he got his heart broken and he was out for revenge to let out anger. So he's basically justifying Ted Bundy's actions, which is disgusting. He also says that he relates to the Zodiac killer because the Zodiac was patient and he thinks that he was patient as well. He also talks about Stacy's sister in court, how he, she basically calls him an animal and he's like, If that's what she needs, she can think of me as an animal. That's fine. And it bothered me so much when he said that because it's like, no, you don't get to say anything. You don't get to react to what that person is saying from their grief. You just sit there and take it and feel bad about what you did and feel disgusting because you are disgusting. He says that he hopes to get forgiveness from them someday. And it's like... Oh, it just makes me want to punch him in the face. Everything he's saying right now just makes me want to punch him in the face. Then he goes to say that he would probably still be doing it if he was out. Once he starts speaking about his sentence, that's when he shows emotion for the first time in his entire interrogation. While in court, he was uh, evaluated by a psychologist. And that psychologist said that he displayed attachment disorders and that he was unable to connect with people. He has a love-hate split relationship with his mom. He says that his hate for his mother was directed towards women and wanting to take control of women because he couldn't take control of his own mother. He was diagnosed with mild depression, bipolar, ADHD, and a neurocognitive disorder and a personality disorder as well. He was determined to read at a 10 or 11-year-old level and had an IQ of 83, which is very low. The psychologist said that this might be due to an early childhood brain injury and later compared it to trying to drive a car with three wheels. So, pretty messed up. 
He also blames, (laughs) this is going to be funny. He also blames unresolved mysteries for planting a seed of bitterness in his head, which, um, I'm going to go with a no because I still to this day love that show and I've never killed anyone. So Sean was sentenced to death and he tried to appeal the judgment, but on February of 2021, Supreme Court upheld his judgment and is still on death row. And that's where Sean is to this day. And that's the end of his story. So not a great one, pretty sickening person, but there it is. There is this telling of Sean not so great. Well, I appreciate you guys sticking around. I would also really appreciate your votes. So if you want to go to the show notes or Instagram and just click that link and give me a vote, I would absolutely love it. The Instagram is YDWK Podcast. Otherwise, I'm also on Facebook. You don't want to know. And if you have any case suggestions or any stories you want to tell me, it's YDWK Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.